is clear time of seeing embers, gold bright suns, lost in first dusk, what a frenzied sense. Oh, desperate musk, our consort of remembering night's pearl censored requiem. Tis for us what joys run then bright in your eyes what flowers spangled amores pull at our hearts and fill our desires <laughs> Dweebs, a Doom podcast both thorough and flippant. We're reading through Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi opus, Dune, two chapters at a time, uncovering connections, conspiracies, and sponsorship opportunities along the way. I'm your Baron Harkonnen, producer, editor, engineer, and theme song composer, Alec Boyle. My co-hosts today are Josh Stevens and Lily Brisley. Nerds, it's your Reverend Mother, Keeper of the Box, and the Jabber. Deadly and Defiant, Reverend Dr. Lillian Mother Moyham Banana Brizzle. Keeping it real. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I am our fearless troubadour, the Grinny Halleck of our group, Joshua Stevens. Uh, and I am here to keep the lights on. I make sure that we... Uh, <laughs> We keep the, the chome bucks flowing, uh, and I am a former live-off Groupon fame, uh, so welcome to the show. What are we doing tonight? We're reviewing uh, chapters 36 and 37, I believe, of the... Uh, right, the two chapters right before the break to the book three. Right, the last two chapters before book three, uh, which I can, for some reason... Oh, there we go. Okay. And we're using the term book, as uh, Frank Herbert uses the term book, which is really a book inside a book, um, not referring to, like, the sequel books of the series. This is all still within the first book. Book three of the first book. That's not confusing at all. Right, but the chapters we made up, as in I went through my copy one <laughs> ruling quote at a time and wrote a chapter number above it. Speaking so. of writing things, I, I did not know that you wrote our theme song. Uh, yeah, I figured that at some point, one of you would come to me and be like, hey, that theme song blows, maybe we should get a better one. Uh, but that is something I threw together in GarageBand when we recorded the very first episode, and I figured no one would let me get through 14 episodes with it still sitting there. You know what, Alec? It was just really obvious that you had made it, even though you never said anything, and apparently I have just enough of a tender spot in my grinchy, grinchy, <laughs> Reverend Mother heart that I was like, just, you know what? It's fine. I am not attached to it, so if we want to replace it with I... a real song at some point, that's fine. I mean, you gotta leave it somewhere in the show, because I love it. 
You know, the more okay. I listen to it, the more it grows on me. I do not like electronic music, but that's like, it's sort of synthy. It's so, so doony. Uh, I call it, what if a tone deaf person half remembered the Doctor Who theme song? <laughs> I didn't know I loved that sound so much, but I, I really, it really tickles me, Boyle. I'm proud of you, man. Well, uh, auditions are open for a new theme song. <laughs> anyone, hit us up at Gumjammer on social medias. If anyone Instagram could really like, spice up, spice yeah. up this theme song. If you want to turn it into a real song with like, you know, uh, measures and harmonics, but keep the spirit intact. You yeah, know, I, I love that it has no rhythm, like walking on desert sands of Iraq. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Appropriate. I, uh, I'll keep it as the closer, no matter what. But maybe we could start do with a new intro. Something a little less uh, jarring. It really gets me going, but I'm fine. If you, I mean, you can put it, as long as it's in the show, I won't complain. Okay. Uh, well, why don't you read us the first quote from Chapter 36, Josh? Uh, because I'm not there. Actually, no, I am. Right. Hold on a second. I can... I can oh! Nope, you're too late, Lily. Beat you, you to have it. 500 book flags to get through, Josh. I, on the other I hand, found the one, though, I think. Am prepared. Woody okay. tells us in A Time of Reflection that his first collision with Arakeen necessities were the true beginnings of his education. He learned then how to pull the sand for its weather, learned the language of the wind's needles stinging his skin, learned how the nose can buzz with sandage and how to gather his body's precious moisture around him to guard it and preserve it. As his eyes assumed the blue of the Ibad, he learned the Chakobsa way. Chakobsa. From Stilgard's preface to Moadib the Man by the Princess Irulan. There's prefaces to the Princess Irulan books? Is I mean, he in the room with her? Is he her keeper? Is he actually her prison guard where she like shoves the pages under the door that she of the prison she's been kept in to crank out all these tomes? Stilgar's like, yep, works. Actually, let me put a preface on this. I love that Stilgar, like this stuff's so legit. They got Stilgar to write a preface. Like people are reading this. Like that's production quality. I also like the idea that Stilgar is uh, a man who can make friends with a lot of women. Right? Jessica and him are like, yeah, let's just let's just be friends. I think that's good. And him and Arulan, they're like, yeah, this uh this Paul guy, he's kinda he's kinda fucked up and crazy, huh? Wah wah. So what's the tone here on the words the man? Oh. When it says Madib the oh, man. First, the, the man. Is it the, is it that? Is it it's that? Is it is, radio. it is it fing, is it finger guns morning radio? What's your what's your take on the uh the intonation of the man? Madib. The man. Oh, Stilgar was really feeling him, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the a man. parade of daddies for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. You've been you lo- you love to talk about how all this stuff is written in some sort of negative light or by some people that don't really like him all that much. Maybe it's the man. Maybe this is like he had an itchy nose. He. He had to endure weather. I should use this other. I live in Kentucky, so it's my default thing. I don't mean to do that. It's sort of, remember when Randy Savage or whoever it was did the like, slap into a Slim Jim. Like, that's my like, like monster Hulk? truck rally voice. No, that was, that was Macho was Man. Oh, what's that? And now we're talking about Spider-Man, apparently. Yeah. Worlds um, collide. 
Stilgar talking about Maudib the Man and Bonesaw. This is our Worlds Collide. I think we have a better Worlds Collide here. Um, never, never be a better Worlds Collide. Uh, it's actually from someone that's not one of the three of us. How's that? All right, let's hear it. Okay, so um, I bring this up because this quote is all about um, about Paul getting getting ready and jacked in the wet in the desert. Right, he's getting like all beef beefed up. He's getting used to all the different symptoms of being in the desert. He's like in training uh, to to be a desert warrior. I think um, actually he's turning into jerky. <laughs> I mean, that is actually probably more salty. More and right. Tough. That's that seems accurate. Uh, but we actually got a uh, a communique from uh, from a listener. Uh, this listener has written to us before, so thank you, Andrew, for uh, for tuning in and uh, giving us some real quality feedback because this here is. Uh, an actual worlds collide. Um, Andrew asks, is Dune the basis for the Karate Kid? <laughs> I, I I read that and I was like, oh man, how can this be? And he says, okay, emo wannabe cool kid Paul trains in the desert with Stilgar to unlock his full powers, while inexplicably cool kid asshole Fade Rautha just beats the shit out of overmatched opponents, setting up for the final fight between them uh, for everything on Arrakis. Okay. It, it's there. It's not not there. <laughs> I mean... And California is Arrakis? Yeah. I know Alec is with that analogy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I love it. I think it's great. I think it follows. I think we've got a, a full-blown... So Stilgar's Miyagi? Yeah. You gotta like that. Jessica? I mean, Jessica's the one who really teaches him shit. Mm, not about the desert. That's... <gasps> Josh! All of the powers that matter that got... That get Paul to where he's at came from the training from his mother! But that's what he already had when he got there. Oh, so it's home training, so it don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if we want to talk about him going out and getting getting all jacked with Miyagi, he's talking to Stilgar. Or Chaney, actually. See, it all falls yeah. apart when we have to consider women in the equation. Chani is actually a lot of his training, I feel like. A lot of his training. We're yeah, going to get I, to that. Oh, boy. All right. I will say that this is as good a Worlds Collide as any of the Worlds Collides we've come up with, so it's admitted <laughs> to the canon, but I'm glad we poked some feminist holes with it. All right, so I'm going to do a 30-second on this, and I really, oh, okay. I, I, th- I think we should... Um... Before you do that... Let him go, Josh. No, I forgot. Andrew go. had one more comment, and it had to do okay. with the last episode, and it was um, that he... I mean, just like we've said this about um, Frank and uh, Duke Duke Lado Lado... Um... <laughs> <laughs> He really, Andrew thinks that Fade really desperately wants Fade to be cool. Fade wants Fade to be cool? Frank wants Fade. To oh, be like, he's man, writing man. He's writing Fade Ralpha as another cool guy. He's got your oh. Duke, his Duke oh, top gun cool guy. Is Fade a cool guy? Is, is, is Frank's intention to make Fade a cool dude? Right, or does it is it just someone who doesn't know what cool is really aggressively trying to write a cool guy? Oh, this is a good question. You say that like his other thing wasn't good. It was great. I loved it. It was fine, but this is good. <laughs> you just don't like my Worlds Collide stuff. What is wrong with no, no, you? No, 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 this is good. Is Fade cool? Okay, I don't know that I have an answer to it. I would love for people to engage us on social media on this one. Is oh, Fade yeah. 
This a is our cool first guy. poll. Is Fade Routh yeah. the cool? And is do you have cool trouble distinguishing Fade from the book and, and Sting? This is that's just where I'm like, I can't separate the man from the Sting. <laughs> the Sting from the man. Also really funny given Sting in 1984 was like 30 years old. Instead of 15? Yeah, instead of 17. Yeah, why... Things that I'm not really comfortable talking about, but why is Frank obsessed with young boys? Like, why does Paul have to be 15? Why does Fade have to be, however, 17, I guess? Those are those years that really matter. Mm-hmm. It's when he's murdering all his favorite slave gladiators. Yeah. His hundreds. Making it with his first girlfriend. That's right. Making Both it with the future the and in the past. Lady Fenring. Yeah, that's another thing to think about there is like, right? Like, they're clearly, I mean, this is last week, I guess. This is something Josh probably wanted to discuss and we wouldn't let him. But the Fenrings walk in there and they both like make eye contact in their secret language. They're like, I'm gonna fuck that 17 year old. <laughs> <laughs> he gonna put a baby in me. Not right. <laughs> All right, let's talk about. 30 second right now. What happened in this chapter? Okay. Alec. Um, Stilgar and his troop finally make it from the pre-CH to the main CH. Right? They, they had their place <laughs> in the desert where for some reason they had millions of liters of water stored. Their pied-a-terre. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. It was, yeah, it was their country compound. <laughs> now they've made it to the big city where they have hundreds of millions of liters of water stored in a limestone basin somewhere under the water. Uh... As they approach, they relax their water discipline. People start making coded chirping noises. Everybody Ooh. but Paul realizes that Liette is dead as a result of these coded oh. chirping noises. It's pretty awkward. Um, Chani ties a green ribbon around her arm. Actually, that might be next chapter. Uh, at some point, Chani ties a green ribbon around her arm. And I just thought that was interesting because that is both the color of the Atreides... Uh, and actually a pretty significant color in um, a lot of Islamic military, like, heraldry. Uh, oh, interesting. During yeah. COVID in Kentucky, it has been the color that our governors told us to light up our houses. Like, turn on a green light is the color of spring and renewal. So sort of the opposite here during COVID. But we only turn it on in recognition of the dead. So actually just the same thing. And I'm very confused about the color green. Uh, and then the bulk of the chapter consists of they finally get into the CH. Just say CH. And Paul is confronted by Hera, Jamis's widow, uh, and eventually her two children, one of whom is apparently by a previous uh, spouse to Jamis. Yeah, what was that guy's name? Jeff? Yeah, this guy's <laughs> name was like Greg or something. <laughs> Uh, and then they end with Paul being like, well, I hope these kids don't murder me in my sleep and going to sleep. Except that he explains, he explains the, oh, I guess, ah, no, never mind. You're good. Let's talk about implications. That was a, that was a good, th that was actually 30 seconds and a pretty good run. I try to keep out the details that I know we're just going to talk about later. Uh, Josh. Yeah. You are now charged with discharging the entire litany of things you want to talk about. <laughs> and once you're done, you're done. Okay. We'll if you didn't join us last no. week, Josh has, Josh has developed and extended his habit of one more thing. 
Because well, he has here's... such a passion for Dune. He has such a... Here's, here's, a, here's the problem. I get some stuff out in the beginning, and then you two talk about stuff that's way over my head. I tune out a little bit, and then I realize there's like a little lull, and I'm like, ah, oh, I got all these things I want to say, and you guys are like, it's time to wrap up. Wait, I haven't even gotten started yet. Like last last episode, I was like, what? What do you mean? We're at like 30 minutes, and you're going to cut out half of that already. I think this is your weirding way, because <laughs> actually, I think most of the most insightful stuff we've come up with has been yours, where I was like, oh shit, I did not yeah. think about that at all. Yeah, I agree. So quit picking on me. <laughs> yeah, I feel victimized, okay? I am a snowflake in the erg. The great erg. Um, but I, I don't want to go yet. <laughs> all right, Lily. Wow. Fine, Lily. Now he's shy. I, I feel like, Lily, what are your thoughts, and I don't mean from a sociological perspective, but from a literary perspective, about Frank choosing to include the idea that amongst the Fremen, and maybe also actually from any perspective, right? Apparently amongst the Fremen, if you kill someone's husband at least, you inherit their wife. It is not clear... And might be possible that if you kill someone's wife, you are also stuck with their husband. But we don't know. We don't know. That's a great point. So the the you can either and not only are you stuck with them, but you get the choice of whether you want this woman as your wife or your servant. And I would just offer, what's the difference? And I think the difference is maybe sexual exclusivity. Sex. Yes, I think you're right. Yes. I think that if if Hera had become... Had, if Paul was like, hey, you're my servant permanently, Hera could then go out and find someone else to marry if she cho- chose, which would then remove her from Paul's servant. But then what happens to her progeny? That's what's kind of messed up. In, like, is she not her, his servant in perpetuity because he is responsible for her children? Right, well, especially it does seem like at least Jamis's kid is now Paul's kid. But also Harris kid by a previous partnership is also because that became went from Jeff to uh, to Jamis now to to Maudib. So um, I, there was also some clause here that if he should not marry her within a year, he can only be she can only be a servant for a year, uh, and then she can go marry somebody else if he's no no no. He has a year to choose, right? He can say you're my servant, and he has up to a year to be like. No, by the rights of combat, you're actually my wife. Yeah. Okay. And then even if she does marry somebody else, um, he's still so he's still like dad a little bit. Like he still has to be responsible for the children. I want to say guardian because I just <laughs> Frank is really loose with like what is paternity versus fathership, uh, and I you know I got a little overly academic on the last episode. I don't want to get too much here. Hmm. All the world is crying out for is more, more academic, academic insight from music. Lily Banana Brizzle. <laughs> You've so, been schooled. Yeah, I think like this is Frank being like, okay, he's chosen this sort of, uh, what is it? Ducal, uh, you know what? It's late. I've been drinking. Patrilinia? No. The, the, 
the thing where you have kings and queens and dukes and emperors. Oh, and nobility. Uh, he's chosen this particular medieval hier- social hierarchy yeah. system. And he's a little bit stuck with it. So you can't actually have liberated women. But he's also writing in the 60s. So maybe he's like, can I have it both ways? The answer is no. Either you liberate all people at all times or you don't. Well, I would also argue that I think part of what flipped him off, flipped him out about Sabres of Paradise, right? Because, and I say this because of how many times it shows up in Dune, is how many descriptions there are in Sabres of Paradise of women and children fighting as fiercely as men, right? Sabres of Paradise. It's the book I've been telling you about for a while that Frank just ripped off. Oh, 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 yes, the ripoff book, yes. Right, yeah, but like... There's tons of passages in there about like, oh, the Russian soldiers thought they'd won and they went into the Aul, which is like the name for a Caucasian mountain redoubt. And then this pack of eight-year-olds just ran up and started stabbing them in the dick. (laughs) (laughs) And Frank clearly thought that was the shit. (laughs) Strong echoes of the dick-stabbing children in this chapter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, Did you... Did you like the conversations? I don't know what to do with the Fremen. I was like so excited about them. I want. I think we will return to the idea that like Chani is definitely manic pixie dream girl numero uno. I, if you know of one earlier than this, let me know. She's even described as elvish at various points during this chapter. But she's not. I think she's just a simpler archetype. She's not manic. She's just more competent, right? She's just the the much simpler archetype of competent woman who steps in to save everybody no but she also fawns over him and she's like oh when you hold me close i understand you and um well that was magic and drugs (laughs) (laughs) we'll save that for next Uh, I do think, I just want to bring back to something I brought up last week right, Hera shows up and she's in this like green yellow silk wrap mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right and yeah. i was like holy shit two colors <laughs> <laughs> but i'm still young how young do you think she is actually i would bet mid to late 20s based on really? description and experiences yeah okay and just bets really? that i'm placing about i was thinking when... older i was too I think Frank is trying to make some underwhelming points wait, 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 wait about a how how old did you say? Mid to late twenties. Wow, mid mid twenties would make her like fifteen when she had her ten year old kid. Yep, that's not biologically possible. Well, she was fifteen. Okay, sorry, I was thinking I can't do math. Okay, I was gonna be like fifteen year olds have kids all the time, Lily. <laughs> Uh, Absent is first, Alec. I think that is the point that Frank is trying to make, right? Which, no, uh, no judgment on the ethics of this, right? Wait, that like no twenty-six-year-old, twenty-eight-year-old is saying a child killed my Jameis. Like she's only ten years older than him. She has a kid who's ten. Like that's an interesting point. She's older. No, having been someone like if you deal. I am of a certain age, but dealing with college freshmen now, they are children. And if you're in your late 20s and you're dealing with a teenager, they still feel like children. It's true. Remember when you were 18, 15-year-olds felt like children. 
but also uncomfortable that like, hey, 15 year old, you're now in, you are now a uh, owner, essentially steward, not even steward. You just own this woman and also these children. And that's, that seems right. She's like, but I like that she's a little salty. She's like, well, what do you want? I'm your servant now. So what's good, Paul? Like he takes him to a little thing and he's like, there's poison everywhere. And she <laughs> does nothing to sort of assuage him. <laughs> and then like, he's, and then he says, we'll talk about your youth later. <laughs> I really shut her up. Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting uh interesting chapter. Not a lot there. Well, I think the other thing that's worth discussing uh before we move on is just that there's lots of su- sort of funny moments of um of Hera trying to possibly persuade Paul that she might be someone worth taking as a wife and then mm-hmm. awkward ass 15 year old Paul being like get the food <laughs> that was good also she just called him a kid and now she's like you must marry me that's true that is also funny that she's like well I mean this fucking twerp mar- murdered my husband but I guess I gotta marry him and- Which makes me wonder about the status of women in Fremen society. Like, if she is so desperate to have some newcomer 15-year-old take responsibility for her, like, this is, what is the lie that Chani promises us? Well, what the fuck? Does she actually, not have other options? Actually, I have another thought about that, though. Okay. Um, which is that Hera is clearly not Fremen uh, leadership or nobility, right? And so one angle might be more that she's just thinking... How do I, a single person, keep up with the water obligations of myself and two children? Right. But it's Paul not... is responsible for her as a servant and for the children. And he's going to. Ch- that's a good point. So he is going to be paying that water debt on their behalf, regardless. So it's not. It's not even a money. F- I find it hard to believe that a culture that came up out of such a like biophysical environment of scarcity, meaning like in such a water scarce environment that, and seemingly collaborative in every other way. Like they are a very tight cultural band. They have all these really intimate ties of kinship and affinity, right? I am a friend of Jameis. It's not just his family that speaks at the death ritual. It's all these other people. So why is it suddenly that they have this very, um, private property approach to both women and the welfare of their citizenry like really like if you don't have a man to protect you they're gonna what leave you out in the erg well on the other hand they i mean i'm not i don't disagree with you but also right like a couple chapters ago stilgar was like uh you know prove your worth or i'll juice you now so they don't seem to really have like they help those who can contribute, and if you can't contribute, you get put in the cider press. <laughs> is that just outsiders, or is that those that are in the community as well? I would argue that based on the way that the Fremen who was interacting with Thufur behaved about wounded, it's, it's in and out. Right? If you are in group, and your knee is busted, and you're going to have to like walk rhythmically on your crutches, sorry, into the Vitamix. Yeah, you... But that's still a very collective mindset. That is one individual who is endangering all as opposed to... Right, as opposed to these kids, nobody's watching these kids kill them. 
Right. Or like, she just made poor choices. If only she'd invested in her value as a neoliberal citizen, she could have had a better Fremen education. Yep. No, I'm very willing to accept that as a frank error. We need a, we need a portmanteau for... Yeah. And she also, she also makes a comment like, please, Paul, please, Paul, I know I'm actually getting up in years. Yeah, that was so sad. And I, I worry as someone, as a woman in her 30s, that that just means a woman in her 30s. Because I don't know that men feel this way, but once you crest that low ridge of your 30s, it definitely feels like, well, your values, diminishing returns. Well, we've talked about that amazing, I feel like either on the show or in between segments of the show, the amazing comedy bit where they throw the party for Julio Louis Dreyfus, where it's like, you're finally unfuckable. <laughs> She's like, now I can move on to my productive life. I mean, you know we had that what? quote early on about, you know, once you're not dodging dicks, you can actually get something done. Yep, that's <laughs> when we've discussed this already. I don't remember this. I think y'all had this conversation without me. Nope. You, you were, were the one who said that. The impetus, yeah. <laughs> huh. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Quarter Wine, for providing <laughs> me with all the dune juice I need to have these brilliant insights. Thank you, Gary, at Corner Wine. Well, do we have anything else um, major to say about this chapter before we nope, move on? No, because the next one's weird, and I'm excited. The next one's way more interesting. Uh, Let me make sure take... I don't have... I might have one more thing. Really? Well, while Josh thinks of his one more thing, let's take a little sponsor break, and I'm going to another drink. Yeah, so I got one more thing. This is something, actually, I even brought it up uh, last last time we recorded. I wish you had said it alone into the void while Alec and I were getting snacks. I'm going to pretend like that's what's happening no, now. No, because this is an <laughs> important our... one that I need you here for. You even gave me a, an introduction to it at the end of the last episode. All right. Welcome to our break segment. One more thing with Josh, because you're going to do it in the middle of the episode instead of the end. Take it away, Josh. You don't think I'm going to do it again at the end? Um, this is about... I almost said Dune Collectors. <laughs> <laughs> Do, do collectors. We're going to talk about some ecology, right? What did you think of that? I figured you'd be, you would be going nuts over do collectors like I go nuts over ornithopters. Why would you think that? I go nuts over the patriarchy and snacks. But you also like, like farming and stuff. No, I do. Yeah, you're right. Do collectors. But say more. What do you think? What do you think is exciting? Yes, the Fremen have adapted to a desert ecology. They have some interesting technologies, mainly collecting. <laughs> the do collectors are fantastic sound. I like that they just like put everything yeah. in a pit and they I put these disagree. things in the bottom, and you can see them from space. Is this the whole segment. That's neat, Josh. <laughs> would they work? Would they work? What? Well, yeah, I wanted Lily to tell us if color changing beads would work. Well, I'm not that kind of scientist, but I'm going to say that the heat differential. And some sort of material. Yeah, I have no idea. I thought you were going to say, yeah. But you lived in Oregon. Yeah. In the rainy part. Is that why you were talking about Oregon earlier? I was like, I didn't. Where do you think I lived? You're just an Probably. expert on everything, Lily. All right. I'll be ready for part two. So, really? You didn't You didn't like the do collectors? I mean, Get all... I mean, I liked it. I just like it as a thoughtful detail. It is a thoughtful detail. Maybe that's what I like about it. It's like some cool little technology that Frank invented. That's, I like the world building aspect of it. Yeah, I love a thoughtful detail, but I don't know that there's much to explore. I don't know, I thought you'd have some, some nerdy farm stuff for us, but you know, I was just hoping. Oh, again, not that kind of scientist. You could have related it to something. <laughs> Maybe that's our new segment. Not that kind of scientist. Uh, oh, the other thing I was going to say is I just glanced back at your, um, your name here in Zoom, and to me it looks like it says Dr. Ramblam. 
<laughs> it's Dr. Reverend Mother Lillian Banana Brislin Moyan. You move that last M around a lot. Yeah, gotta keep them guessing. It looks like you're Dr. Rambling. Bam, 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 bam. Which makes me want to say thank you to anyone that's actually listened to our podcast and giving us an excuse to have a little life during COVID. I hope we brought you some life too. Let's get into part two of this episode because this is a fun, ep- this is a fun chapter. Uh, I guess I haven't read a quote yet, so I can do this one. The hands move, the lips move, ideas gush from his words, and his eyes devour. He is an island of selfdom. Description from a manual of Maudib by the Princess Irulan. Is it a manual for how... This is what, a question that I should have asked earlier. Is it a manual for how to be a Muad'Dib? What is, it a man, what is the manual nature of the manual of Muad'Dib? I would say it's like the dictionary, like the instructions, the, the this is the breakdown step by step. It's a profile. That makes more sense. Like manual makes me think it's my Ford F-188, Ford F-150, Pearl, who's sitting out on the street right now. And it's like, oh, it's the manual... I can go in and adjust the timing bell. I can do these things. Or it's a manual like Muad'Dib for dummies. Like when does Princess Irulan write Muad'Dib for dummies? And is it a how-to guide or is it a like... I, I think this is the dookie smooth side of Muad'Dib. Yeah, like, I mean, this is this is poetic. I think this is Frank's... Uh, let's tap into the ducal side of Muad'Dib. Um, and let's get his um, his clever words that Frank likes to put into the Duke Duke's mouth, and uh, <laughs> let's put it into Paul's. Make him a this is a manual of how to Madib. I think there's also a tradition, at least in translation of Eastern religions, of sort of publishing tracts and referring to them as manuals, right? Of like um, Confucian or Buddhist tracts. That are just sort of like how to be more like your admired spiritual leader. And I don't know what the actual words for those are, oh. right, in Hindi or Mandarin. Interesting. But I so know it's more that, like biography. that in English they have been translated as manuals. I like that. Yeah. Um, I want to. This, this makes me wonder because in this chapter they talk about jihad, this religious war. And. I want to know more about the religion aspect of this, right? Like, what do the, um, I mean, what are the Fremen feeling as far as religion? Are they getting this from the Bene Gesserit? Or are they getting this from their own context on Dune? So I may be going out on limb here, and I invite both my co-hosts and listeners to um, rein me the fuck in. But I think... That what I pick up on from this, and what I also think Danny Vernu, director of Dune 2020, has picked up on, is that this is not necessarily a religious jihad, it is a classist jihad. This is the... What? This is the oppressed of Arrakis finally being like, nope, we're done, and just uniting around this Paul effect. Because one of the important things about it, right, is Paul says several times over the last four or five chapters that he's in that at this point it does not matter if he dies yeah right like the the energy the potential energy contained in this crowd of oppressed people is so high that probably 
the best thing he could do in terms of, or the the strongest thing he could do in terms of unleashing them on the universe would be to up and die. Murdered. Mm-hmm. All right, this brings me to a sidebar, which is a question that my cousin posed to me a couple years ago. She's like, tell me what I, sh- I should say about this because I know what I think, but I don't know how to defend it. And so the question was, this is the actual way it was posed to me. You know when people give you those like seemingly witty sort of thought puzzles and you're like, no, I reject the premise on principle. So the question was, if you could choose that either Adolf Hitler is killed before he ever has any sort of ascendance to power or all seahorses would be eradicated from existence. I'm, this is how it was posed to me. All seahorses disappear, their demise is brought about, they are eradicated, or Adolf Hitler. Which would you choose? I have a point to this that relates to what you were just saying, I promise. What have seahorses done for you lately? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like, I wish y'all could see these guys, they're like opening and closing their mouths like up. <laughs> well, seahorses. it's a real, real weird puzzle. Yeah. I think you... There is a certain a puzzle, strain right? of um, of liberal and neoconservative uh, historians who would certainly make the argument that Every Hitler rising to power when he did prevented global nuclear war. Oh, interesting. I've never foreseen. Okay. So the idea you can't is see right. All the lines into the future. You're you're just yeah. walking through a door. The idea is narrowed. World War Two. The the war in Europe actually happened because. England and America knew that Hitler was working on the bomb, right? If he hadn't been working on the bomb, nobody would have bothered. He would have just conquered Europe and people yeah, would have lived I mean, with it for a couple Yeah, because we're actually fine with genocide, if, any, if this mm-hmm. has proven anything. But they knew he was working on the bomb and they had to stop him before he got it. Otherwise, he could conquer the whole world. And as a result of that, America developed the bomb. And you get this whole structure where... Uh, in the immediate aftermath of the war, America decides, well, we're going to kind of give the bomb to everybody in the theory that then no one person will nuke anybody else. If that doesn't happen, you can make the argument instead that, like, in 1957, France develops the bomb. And they're like, hey, let's nuke Algeria and see how that goes, right? And then everything goes much more to hell. I don't know that that theory holds a ton of logical or ethical water but it is certainly one that has been advanced okay so my so my response is not that although actually that was a super fascinating like another interpretation my response is what a dumb question that uh racist supremacy movements like fascist totalitarian movements are born out of the context of the time not out of great leaders and it is precisely our obsession with great leaders that mm. is the fallacy of most of modern Western civilization, for sure. I can't, I, I, only because that's the system I'm embedded in. And so, yeah, save the seahorses <laughs> that, that some sort of fascist regime and genocidal regime would have arisen in Germany or somewhere similar. I mean, that's like saying, would it have happened in Kentucky or would it have happened in Tennessee? I say that as someone who lives in Kentucky, like, would it have been of Germany or would it have been France? Eh. Right, exactly. That, that is splitting hairs to an exceptional degree. It is the, 
it is in the milieu. It is of the moment. And we uh, have a false belief. And this is speaking to the current contemporary political moment. And I don't actually have a very astute political analysis. But we put all of our eggs in this very overblown presidential basket when it is actually a very complicated and robust political system that under that like undergirds those institutions and we but we're like oh don't look behind the curtains so don't kill hitler keep the seahorses and what that all is to say bring it back to dune paul is like oh even if i'm killed these maddening hordes of fremen will still rampage across the universe and it's like well yeah, I mean, you're cool. You may be a catalyst. Like, your presence and some particular aspects of the way that you inhabit that social space are useful to the progression of this sort of Fremen evolution. Progression of evolution, that's useless. But do, do y'all see what I'm saying? Right, yeah, I get it. If not Paul, something else. Like, if not Paul, right. still they, If not Paul... These people were primed. Paul showing up was already enough that they'll take care of the rest on themselves. Even Yeah, if... they don't need Paul, but he... I mean, is he helpful? Yes. Is he necessary? No. Right. Which he knows, right? Which mm-hmm. he knows, and which Frank knows, right? Mm-hmm. Frank is saying, yeah. if Paul slips in the shower and lands on one of his two uh, adopted kids' knives... Tomorrow morning, <laughs> the jihad continues. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for indulging me on my seahorse. Sidebar. I mean, it was, it's like the train, you know, that you got the one person on one track and you're standing at the train track switcher and, you know, there's like 10 people on the, the other trolley track. problem. The trolley problem. That's the one. That's what it is. And some would say that you just killed all the people that Hitler killed by not stopping him. yeah but i would disagree okay if you disagree with us hit us up on instagram at Jabber, other platforms these dweebs might answer you i definitely will because what the hell else do i have going on i just drink and read dune just kidding i have a very robust professional personal life come at me <laughs> but actually don't please don't investigate I don't. lily's professional life please don't please don't come at me what is there what is there to say about this episode? We've got about 10 minutes, We've I'd done say, nothing about this episode more. that is super interesting. This is our worst episode ever. Did I, did I, read, the, did I read the quote? We've only talked about the quote and, and yes. seahorses. You read the quote. We've only talked about the quote Let's and seahorses. Let's talk horses. about... Yeah, let's talk about spice yes. veggies. But no one can drink it unless um, Jessica Baby Bird's it. All right, here's the 30-second rundown. Something happens. Jessica realizes, oh, shit, I'm involved in some strange uh, cultural practice that I'm unaware with, but it's probably dangerous. They shepherd her off. Uh, they put down a carpet. Uh, I No, I, I want to say, I like how that basically makes it, like, Jessica got sucked into a frat bet. Right? Like, she's up in front of this crowd, and they're like, all right, you got to drink this. And she's like, well, I don't want to look like an well, idiot. Well, I mean, my son's pledging this fraternity, so... Yeah, she's like, I don't want them to reject Paul's application. Let me drink this juice. So she's there. They're up on some sort of ledge. They put carpets down, because the Fremen have carpets? That seems strange. They bring in an old crone on a litter, because you got to have a crone. It's not a desert uh, expedition if there's not a crone. 
there's the crone, there's the mother is Jessica, and then there's the new bride that comes up as Chani. And she is in a beautiful, fetching uh, blue silk wrap dress, as we learn in the description, because she's not a trees and she has a, has a presentable wardrobe. So she walks up and bingo, bango, water of life ceremony. We learn that it is the Shai Hulud juice that he, she, he, that Shai Hulud exudes when he's drowned. Jessica realizes in the midst of the mystical process, you, how do you drown a giant worm on Arrakis? Oh, the Fremen. She gets all, so the crone is like, hey, Jessica's like tripping ball. She's like, I'm a moat. I'm a moat. Let me transmute the poison. And then the little moat of the crone comes in is like, hey, let me moat with you. And then she starts to share all her memories. And then Mini Moat comes up and is like, wait, I'm the fetus. The crone freaks out as in moat form. Jessica's like, oh, I kind of forgot I was pregnant. LOL. I thought it'd be cool. And the crone's like, not cool. Fuck, what have we done? Too late. Here's all my memories. Incoming memories. All of life's experience for generations. And then the baby, the fetus moat freaks out. Jessica's like, um, here's the litany. <laughs> and the moat's like, no, not the litany. I must not fear if it was the mind color. It doesn't work for me as the moat. She's like, um, loving tenderness. And then fetus moat says, yeah, that that's better. Yes, thank you. Okay, loving tenderness, not the litany. Jessica comes out of it. She transmutes the poison into water. And then she's like, wait, it's still drugs, though. Should I let them have the drugs? Yeah, I'm gonna let them have the drugs. She knows that orgy's coming. Jessica's cool with it. All the Fremen get just diggity dank, including Paul, who asks his mommy's permission. He's like, Mom, really, can I drink it? The, can I drink, can I drink the, the orgy juice? juice? She's like, she doesn't even, she just hasn't even say anything. She's just blissed out. Paul's like, I guess I'm drinking the orgy juice. Chani takes him off to their thing. No, Chani Chani squirts it into his mouth real hard. <laughs> She's like, get this juice. Get this orange juice. Yeah, Chani Chani <laughs> jungle juice is And Paul. then everyone <laughs> wants on Paul because of his special magic powers. And she's got to squirrel him away back to her hut so that uh, she can be the only one up against her. They can do, do the nasty. Yeah. But he does realize it's important to note that Paul's like, oh, the Fremen have some of my prescient powers. Jessica's, and also, great moment, Jessica's like, is Paul actually prescient or... She's, so I think that we're going to realize that Jessica actually has more powers than Paul does. That's probably not true, but I want to believe it. And Paul and Chani, bingo, boingo, bonk the nasties, end of chapter. No, not end of chapter. That thing that you just said, Paul makes this amazing comment about how the the most prescient you can be is to see the see the past and the future. And then he's, then he's like in the next moment is talking about how he's seen himself with uh, with Chani, both in the future and in the past, and that's kind of the thing that leads him into, like, being able to see himself from, like, three different angles. That only made sense to you. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> the thing I want to point out about humorous power dynamics and that whole thing is that about three chapters ago, Jessica said... Oh, the Fremen call their old wise women reverend mothers. Isn't that cute? <laughs> and then this chapter, she's like, oh, shit! <laughs> they take way better drugs than we <laughs> That's true. She's like, I never tasted this one before. Yeah. It hits different in the desert. And, it, and like, it turns out, right, like, she's like, oh, that's funny. They call them that, but obviously they're not. And then this turn, through this chapter, the, the, their 
Reverend Mother gives her the thing. And then it's like, oh, shit, they're like not oral tradition, right? Their mm-hmm. psychic tradition yeah. goes back 10,000 mm-hmm. years. Uh, and even us, the Bene Gesserit, who are like comparatively enlightened relative to, you know, the, the Lansrod or the Carinos or Chome, even we did not understand that these were, you know, real capable, intelligent people. Uh, with a vast storehouse of knowledge of their own that is, in fact, the reason they've survived 30,000 years on an uninhabitable Which is one of the great things. I mean, this is where Frank really gets some of his analysis, like, in ways that I'm like, I really appreciate this analysis. Like, he flips the colonialist script on its head. And it just, what for what Alex just said, like, oh, yeah, no, oh, shit, they've been doing it right all along. And Right, big... and this is the thing I brought up in a previous episode, right? It's, it's Crater Lake Syndrome. What? A long time ago, European scientists went to Crater Lake in Oregon, and they were like, oh, this lake was made this way. And the natives were like, no, it was made this way. And they were like, you stupid natives. <laughs> and then, like, a hundred years later, they did more analysis, and they are like, oh, shit, guys. Um, they were right. Isn't it a, isn't it a meteor right? crater? No, no, it's volcanic, but there was disagreement about literally, like, how the mountain collapsed as it erupted. <gasps> And the, the geologists were like, it happened this way. And the natives said it happened another way. And then 50 years later, it turned out that the oral tradition was correct. No shit. And the... Alec, yeah. I lived literally... We talked... You brought up Oregon, and I almost forgot that I lived in Oregon for three years. I lived at the gateway to Crater Lake and didn't know anything about this. This is amazing. Oh, it's really... It's my favorite. Crater Lake Syndrome. <laughs> I love it. Also, things I love about this chapter, big crone energy. My lifetime goals are to be a wizened old crone that is described as a bag of sticks in a big... Leather sack. <laughs> um, it, in a yeah, beer, yeah. Carried in on a litter, covered in some sort of, like, um, capy shawl situation. No, but again, Paul, again, the Atreides are like, oh, shit, look at those duds. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, Even with this dying old stuck. woman, Paul is like, damn, girl. Yes. So they carry the current reverend mother. And so this is their reverend mother, Jessica thought. And so they bring the old bitch in. And I aspire to this level of old lady shade. If I am not this way by the time I am 70, just come and feed me the water of life and put me out of my misery. So you're the one the old head nodded once precariously on the thin neck. The shout out Mapes was right to pity you. Sick. Burn. Also, you know that. that anything that involves a shout out makes I'm like, oh, oh, shout out. <laughs> so good. And Jessica's like, oh, I need no one's pity. And then old Crone says, that remains to be seen. She's like, she does not care if Jessica lives or dies. She's like, you are pitiful. Prove yourself otherwise. I love her. Love the old Crone. And yeah, she transmits all of her knowledge, and we learn that they're, they've lived forever. But also, Chani is not a reverend mother, so she's some sort of wise woman she's understudy. She's an Basically, Chani gets, um, right, she becomes a bobcat, right? She gets admitted to the thing without learning any of the real secrets Wait, or what techniques. what is the reference it's to bobcat? It's just so that, like, a... Cub Scout thing. <laughs> of course. That's what secret. you were talking about? Brownie. She's a brownie jesser. Brownie jesser. You were never a Cub Scout, right? I was a Cub Scout. I never became a Boy Scout. I stayed a Brownie Jesse. <laughs> were you a Boy Scout, Josh? I was. Well, not, well 
I no, I went. I did that for like a year, and then. Uh, no, I did a Pinewood Derby. I did the Pinewood Derby, but it's like with a rubber band propeller and a tube on a string. And then I got bored and I quit. Okay. That was like, like what, a year? It was like maybe a year and a half, yeah. I mean, right. The, the through line of my life's history is not commitment. There's uh, <laughs> <laughs> this line in here about how um, the Fremen have a touch of the gift. Paul, Paul's thinking to himself, that they all can sort of see the future when they drink this, uh, drink this right. mother juice. And, uh... Yeah. It's an interesting path. Lily brought it up. I don't know if you remember, uh, ten minutes ago, but Lily Oh, man, Lily, that. that was a great insight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can just... God, the more I do this podcast, the more it just feels like real life, <laughs> but more inebriated. Hey, we <laughs> acknowledge and apologize, which I think is more than you get out oh, of Oh, 10,000 percent. Absolutely. Okay, I'll try to come up with one that you haven't brought up yet. <laughs> actually no but i do think that was interesting mainly also because uh what we didn't expound on is that like he says like oh yeah they could all do this but they're all yeah. scared no that is good right like because seeing the future is scary yeah yeah i don't want to see the future dear god which is a great this is where i feel like the chapter quotes that start this are starting to get a bit better like the i think they're mm-hmm. getting yeah. pithier and they're more you, you know I think they're less um, expository now, right? It's not oh. like just talking about, oh, the Atreides were such, you know, burly, fashionless <laughs> men. Are you talking about my family? <laughs> I love you, Brislin men, but let's be real. <laughs> I got one more thing. Paul's new kids. Mm-hmm. They were they, they, Frank's bringing up all this stuff about their Chris knives because he wants to get to this line about how they take their job as bodyguard of their of their father figure seriously and uh he's got this like eight-year-old and ten-year-old right behind him with their like hands on their knives ready to kill for him you read the next chapter no that's in this chapter that's that not in this chapter, chapter. Yeah, baby. Yeah, next, next, next chapter's chapter. next book i didn't go that far okay um okay yeah, he, yeah. He entered this the room. josh this is actually a perfect one last thing with josh so fremen children ride or die Nothing is more terrifying than a kid that's willing to kill you because, and I think that Frank messes with youth. Why he thinks that teenagers are adults, I'm not really willing to get into. Like, don't question your heroes too much. But scary as hell to have, and like Alec mentioned with the whatever book that Frankie proved this whole thing Serious from. Serious Paradise. Murders children. Terrifying. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. All right. So... Thus concludes this week. What have we learned? We've learned Jessica's the Reverend Mother now. Paul. But also Fremen have real Reverend Mothers, not just knockoffs. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. They might have realer Reverend Mothers. Is she part of the actual order of many Jessica? No, she's super not. That's kind of the whole point, is they have this whole secret history that the Bene Gesserit don't know jack shit about. Do they now automatically know? Like, are the Bene Gesserit connected? I don't think... Jessica transmits so they just any turn it on and off. No, it's just a unidirectional. It only moves into the future. Oh man, Lily, worlds collide. Information only goes up the wick. Oh! It's an anime oh! reference. Yes! Well, this is so good. Join us for next season of Gom Driver the Movie Dudes where we totally switch to a Neil Stevens <laughs> Anathem podcast. Get ready for it. Yeah. 
But yeah, information only goes up the wick. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. Unidirectional up wick information transfer. In these two chapters, we learned that Paul and Jessica are, if they weren't fully intermeshed with Fremen society in this siege, uh, they are now. Paul's got a wife and children at the age 15. Jessica's a reverend mother, as is her unborn fetus. And uh, we do know that if you don't remember, all of them, everybody's got to get the hell out. They are they are moving camp. They have to abandon their siege they've been in for generations because the Harkonnens are coming. So as we, we are about to enter book three, as you know, I don't remember shit about this book, despite I swear I read it in like the year 2006, but doesn't seem to pan out. I don't remember anything. We're moving sieges. We're moving into the deep desert. We're going to the country house. We're, who knows what's about to happen, but it's Paul and Jessica and Stilgar and Chani and Spice. Stay tuned next week. Will shit be awkward after the Spice orgy? Will uh, Jessica's fetus turn out to be a fully fledged, murderous, brilliant uh, saint? Only time will tell. Who knows? See you next week on Gom Jabber. Don't forget to email us gomjabberpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Please email Josh. He's really lonely. Or tweet at us at gom underscore jabber on Twitter. I don't know how else you would tweet at us. Shut up. Yeah. Or hit me up on the Insta. Also, at gomjabber if you haven't figured it out. See you later, nerds. Later, nerds. <laughs>